Scripture this morning is in uh, the book of Romans, Paul's letter to uh, Rome and the Christians living there at the time. In your pew Bibles, it's page 916. <coughs> Excuse me if the voice sounds a bit off. That's like cough. Uh, in uh, chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be uh, fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And in verse 9, For however you are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, and if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if one does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Ava, uh, Daddy, Father, the Spirit itself himself testifies with our spirit that we are his children now if we are God's children then we're also heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if we indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory may God bless his word to us this morning amen Home is where the heart is. Home is where the heart is. What, what thought comes to your mind when you hear that phrase, home is where the heart is? I looked up that phrase just to see the meaning of the word and, or the phrase and the origin behind the phrase. And what I can get from what I can gather from the interwebs, this phrase has been around since the ancient times in one form or another. But the exact wording was used in a 1857 novel called Scandal. In it, one character asks a person named Willie, describe to me what home is, Willie. He replied, a, a woman of Kate Bentley's appearance. No, no, I asked you to describe me a home, not your wife. And Willie replied, 
home is where the heart is. The sentiment of that phrase is that home isn't just a building or even your house. It can be where you live, but more importantly, someone's home is where their heart resides in. That is, the people you love, a place where you feel safe and secure. It is where your core relationships are that make you your home, not the place where you live in. This is why we don't call people who are homeless, homeless, but underhoused. It's because they may not have a house to live in, but they still have a home in that they have a community of people that care for them and that they're a part of. Home is where the heart is. And this idea of home feels innate to me. It's as if it's a fundamental need in order for us to flourish. When home is broken, when, when home is not safe, when home is taken away from you, your life starts to unravel. You feel lost and you, you long to find home or make home or you become homesick. That's why I wondered whether or not moving is one of the most stressful things in people's lives because you're moving home. And the Israelites throughout their history long for home. Abraham left his father's home with the promise of a new home by God. God used Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, to create this new home. In the prophets, we see the people of Israel longing for home as they have been exiled from war and have lost their home. In the Psalms, we see this longing for home, not just in their home country, but also finding their home in the house of God to take refuge under God's wings, as we, and as we sang this morning, there's this recognition and longing to find our home in God. And we've been in this series in the summer on the book of Romans called When in Rome, Making Home in the Empire. And as Ben shared last week, the Jews who started the Church of Rome were kicked out of Rome under the Emperor of uh, Emperor Claudius, but now have come back where now the Gentile believers who were running the church. The letter is written within this context of those who had to flee their home and their home church for a while. Now they've come back and have to figure out how does this home work? How do we live together uh, in this church? Romans 8, 1 to 4, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul starts off Romans 8 with the word therefore to refer to what he had just talked about. And last week, Ben talked to us about the law and sin and how the law on its own cannot save us, nor can we keep the law in order to save ourselves. The law shows us our sinfulness and brokenness, which leads to death. And yet the law is still good as it shows us our need for something or someone beyond ourselves who can save us. So it is within this context Paul says, therefore. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
we have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of Jesus' death and resurrection. The law that came through Moses or the Mosaic law, which condemns us, now is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. It is precisely through the death of Jesus we are not, not bound to the law, but now we are set free and bound to the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks of the law of Jesus that trumps or rather fulfills the law of Moses. And now we are in Christ. If we live according to the spirit, that is, we have access to this new life in the spirit. Last week, Ben talked about this analogy of learning to swim and how his kids were taught to follow this very strict technique of swimming. Yet the law of these techniques isn't the point of swimming. You learn techniques to help you swim, but the whole point is to swim, not to keep your technique. Similarly, the law that Moses gave wasn't so that we can keep the rules, but rather as a way to live, to be home in God. It was never meant to be a way to keep us down or to help us become moral people, but rather the whole point behind the law was so that we could live and be as God made us to be. So the law of the Spirit that Paul refers to not only surpasses the Mosaic law, but rather gets to the heart of what that law was about. And the law of the Spirit points to what the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel spoke about, where God will give us the ability to keep the law as the law will be written in our hearts. It would be as though if we didn't need to learn how to swim anymore through techniques because it would be innate in us. It would be like giving us fins or gills so we don't have to think about swimming. Swimming is just naturally part of who we are, and we just swim. And we think of everything else you could do with your life beyond just learning how to swim. It's, as, it's almost as if when we are in Christ, that is when we turn our lives over to Jesus and walk in his ways, when we follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there is something that happens in us to our core that not only frees us for, from our need to follow the rules, but that Jesus transforms us so that now we, become, now we can become people who can live out what the law was intended for. That is to live as people who can find our home in God and in our world, where our hearts are home in God, which leads to right homemaking with God, with others, and with creation. It's as if, and I would argue not just as if, but in reality, our inner and outer reality is transformed so that who we are, our, our being, our identity has been changed by Jesus. But you can't talk about home without talking about family, right? You can't talk about home and making home without the relationships that shape our sense of home. And this is what Paul does here. He speaks of this new reality in Jesus that is when the Spirit of God lives in us, we are not only freed from the law, but now we are part of this new family under this new household of God. And it's hard for me to talk about home without remembering my own home. As some of you know, I left home when I was 17 with my brother, and we had to figure out what it meant to lose our home and to create a new home. That leaving of home wasn't just us moving out, rather it was a, a sense of loss. We had to deal with the loss of our home being broken. It was a loss of the sense of belonging, a sense of my home being wrecked, 
And for the next four years of my life, there was this journey of grieving the loss of home, yet yearning to find home and to make home again. I've never been underhoused, but I've been homeless. I've never been without a roof over my head, but I have been homeless. In the same way, both of my parents are, are still alive, but there have been times in my life where I have felt like an orphan. Romans 8:14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. When we are led by the Spirit, that is when we live our lives in step with the Spirit, following Jesus, we are declared as God's children. Paul contrasts the life under the law and the life lived according to the flesh with the life that is lived by the Spirit. When we live as children of God, we are freed from slavery to sin, slavery of being under the law, and freed with the ability not to be servants of God, but rather his children. And I think this is an important point for us to dwell on. When we are given a spirit of adoption and love and not a spirit of slavery that causes fear, for, for some reason, we, like the younger son in the prodigal son, feel that when we come home to God, we cannot or are not worthy to be called his children. Instead, we come home to God as his slaves. Instead of coming home to God as his beloved children, sons and daughters, we come back as his servants. We feel as though we can't be called children of God, and we feel unworthy as if we have to earn back our sonship or daughtership. Yet as the father does in the prodigal son, God is the one that embraces that us has come to die for us so that we can be called children of God. God doesn't want us to be his slaves. He wants us to be his children. What is it in us that cannot accept that truth about who God says we are in Jesus? When I first got married, one of the things I had to figure out now is what to call my in-laws. And I remember Jin telling me, just call them mom and dad. Call them amma and appa. But the amma and appa in Korean meaning mom and dad. But the thing is, amma and appa is usually reserved for your parents, just like you would call your mom and dad, right? You don't say father and mother. Maybe you do if you're, if you're in a more formal setting. But normally, right, that uh, word of uh, dad or amma and appa is reserved for, like, your parents, right? Because there's this sense of intimacy, closeness. There's no formality, right? There's this close homeness where you could just call them mom and dad. And, but most Koreans would never do that to their in-laws, right? In-laws is mother, father. You say abaji or amani, right? That's just part of how the culture is. And so it was really hard for me to start calling them mom and dad because I'm just, that's not part of our vernacular. It's not what you do. But yet I said, you know, Jin was encouraging me to do so, and that's what the parents wanted as well. So I'm like, okay, we'll try. And so I started calling them amma and appa. But it took for so long before to actually feel comfortable, you know, when you just say it. Like it's like calling your in-laws mom and dad, right? It just was not natural. It felt like I was just following rules of saying mom and dad versus it just being 
part of who I was. But in the same way, the word Abba Father that Paul mentions here speaks not only of the intimacy of that phrase, what that phrase represents, but are also are the same words spoken by Jesus when he prayed to God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Abba Father. And one thing to notice is that Paul wrote those words, Abba Father, in Aramaic while writing this letter to, a peop- to the people of Romans who all spoke Greek. And the point of that is that the words Abba Father has somehow been preserved in the church up to that point where people, though spoke uh, Greek naturally, or, or not naturally, as their like, mother tongue, this phrase Abba Father in Aramaic stuck because it was a way of the church speaking the words of Jesus when they referred to God. And he does this because the phrase Abba Father had been, uh, I mean, sorry, I've already said that. So the church in its worship and, ad- and address of God have used that same words of Jesus who addressed God. And we, like Jesus, can address God with Abba Father because in Christ, we can now enter into that same intimate relationship as part of the family of God. Though Jesus is the Lord of our lives, he has also become our sibling as we have been welcomed into this new family of God. And Paul uses this term uh, adoption as the Roman hearers of that day would have understood this term. It's very similar to the way we would have. Similar to our understanding adoption, when a Roman citizen adopted a child, they would confer on that child all the legal rights and privileges that would be given to a natural child. What is interesting here is Paul uses this term as Caesar Augustus, who was also considered the son of God, was adopted by his great uncle Julius Caesar. When Julius Caesar was assassinated in his will, he, had, he wrote that he wanted Augustus to be his son and therefore his heir. Augustus, as the adopted son, inherited Caesar's name, estate, and the loyalty of his legions and then became the next Caesar. So what Paul is saying here is that instead of making our home in Caesar and bowing down to his regime and and service, we are adopted into the family of God through the death of the true son of God in Jesus. We therefore have all the rights and privileges that Caesar Augustus had through the death of Julius Caesar and the death of the true son of God in Jesus Christ. As I mentioned before, there have been times when I've felt like an orphan My relationship with my dad had been non-existent for most of my life, and there had been a season in my life when my relationship with mom was also uh, very rocky. So when I started calling my in-laws mom and dad, appa and amma, and living on the same household, it took a long time before I could accept that as the reality where they became more than my in-laws and started to become actually my mom and dad. It had to be almost as though not only did I have to start calling them mom and dad, but I had to actually see myself as their son. I think that's, that's the kind of the next level of inner working that had to happen in my own life and my heart to say, yeah, I'm gonna call you mom and dad. But we had to have that intimacy of relationship of living under the same household, eating together, 
doing life together, and then seeing myself as their son, that it became actually true. Instead of just swimming, learning the techniques, and saying the right words, it had to become part of who I was. I had to embrace it and had to become part of my identity. In the same way, in Christ, we are brought into his household and have given the rights and privileges to be called his children. Yet, I believe it's the same challenge for us to live in that reality of being able to embrace our identity as his children. We could say all the right things. We could say, Father, God, Jesus, you're my Lord. We could start following the rules. Yet, unless we um, embrace that identity as God's sons and daughters, that we can actually start living. It becomes more than the act of swimming, and we could actually become just swimmers. Another way to think about it to me is that instead of following rules where we still live under the power of sin, living with that same identity that we're sinners, we're sinners, is to get to a place where we see ourselves as his children. We're his beloved children, sons and daughters that sin once in a while. So then sinning becomes acting out of character, acting out of who we are, forgetting that we are God's children and then living in our old ways, right? It's almost forgetting, oh yeah, no, I'm not like that anymore. I'm actually God's son and sons and daughters, and therefore I reflect who he is. And so then living normally, and if you think about it, most of us actually don't go around sinning 24-7, right? Most of us actually go out living our lives as good people, as people who are under grace, who are under the Spirit of God. We live caring for people, for our family, for our friends, Yet there are times where we forget and we act out of character, and that's when we sin. So how do we get to a place of recognizing and embracing that reality for ourselves, that we're not even servants of God? We're his sons and daughters, and we are part of his family. And I believe that this is the calling for us who call who called Jesus as our Lord. This is the reality that we, as the children of God, have to live into, is embracing and living out of the reality that Jesus has come to make his home in us and invites us to make our home in him. Paul, writing to the church of Galatians, says something very similar in verse, chapter 4, verse 6. Because you are his sons and daughters... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Did you see that? Because we are his daughters and sons, God sent the spirit of his son, where? Into our hearts. If home is where the heart is, then it seems to me that our home is found in Jesus because we are his children. God has sent the spirit of Jesus into our hearts so that, we can, so that he can make his home in us and we can make our home in him. Then the question we need to ask ourselves is what or who is, the, is at the heart of our hearts? That is when everything is stripped away, who is, who is at the heart of our lives? Is it Jesus or is it something else? If home is where the heart is, we need to make sure that what we let into our hearts, 
what we love and what we care for, what we value and what we desire, needs to be in Jesus. Is Jesus residing in our hearts or is it our current lifestyle? Is it our next promotion, our desire for comfort and security? Is it being valued or validated at our workplaces? Where is your home? Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, writes about his experience among the poor in Bolivia and Peru. He reflected on his experience while he was with the poor and realized that the poor, uh, the poor people he was uh, ministering to were not living in fear. Sure, they were living in a fearful land where there was hunger, suffering, and agony, but he also found joy, gratitude, and peace. He recognized that there was this connection between the poor in South America with the rich in North America, and how the people of the North are living in fear. Our fear is caused by our fearful hoarding and the fear of losing our comfortable lifestyle, which we all saw in spades in the hoarding of uh, toilet papers during the pandemic, right? Like just that little fear of discomfort. Yeah, it's a big discomfort to be not, possibly not have toilet paper. We never actually ran out of toilet paper, by the way, right? It was just the, fee, the, just the potential of discomfort of not having toilet paper that caused us to hoard, right? But it's, it's that, um, that fear of losing that comfortable uh, lifestyle, the lifestyle we have, that, that led to this hoarding. And he, this is what he writes. He says that somehow in North America... We've forgotten what leads to a life of love instead of life of fear. He says, we've almost sold out our collective hopes of dwelling in God's house of love for secure borders, security systems, and gated communities. We've sold out our collective hopes and I would add our collective need to dwell in, the God, dwell in God's house of love for our way of life. We, in our need to live in the empire, have forgotten that our home is not found in being, success, being successful in Toronto, but rather being drawn into life of God, who calls us to make our home in him so that it impacts the way we make our home in the city of Toronto. The hope and joy that we can rest is in that God himself wants to reside in us. That in Jesus Christ, God sent his son to dwell in us because he wants to dwell in us. It's not because he has to, but rather because we are his preferred dwelling place, according to Nouwen. And not because he has to. He wants to dwell in us so that we can dwell in him. Our response is to invite Jesus into our hearts to make Jesus also our preferred dwelling place. To answer the call of Jesus who says in Revelations chapter 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Home is where the heart is. Home is when we let Jesus live in our hearts and when we live with Jesus. I want to end our time with a time of prayer as Nawan believes that prayer is one of the most important ways in which we can enter into this presence of Jesus who wants to dwell with us. And I want to do this with, with a painting. There's a famous painting called The Trinity created by a Russian painter. 
uh, Andrei Rublev in the early 15th century. The painting is an icon, which is not just a painting, but a way in which we can slow down and pray and to pay attention to God. Long ago in Russia, there were many attacks made on a small town. And in the monastery, the monks got very nervous and could no longer concentrate on their prayers because of all the violent conflicts throughout the town. The abbot called his icon painter, Rublev, to paint an icon to help the monks remain prayerful in the midst of restlessness, trouble, and anxiety. Nauen would often sit with this icon and pray as a way to enter into what he calls the house of love. Instead of living in fear, this icon has helped him enter into this house of love. And I want to give us a chance to spend time praying through this icon. So one thing you can do is you can search this title up on your phone called Trinity by Rublev, and that will pull it up. We also have physical copies for those of you who like tactile physical copies. Uh, so if you want to just raise your hand, Emily will pass those around. And then there's also, it will also be on the screen for those of you that don't need either, and you, you could just look on the screen. So those are three options for you. And as you start pulling those up and as you get those uh, copies, uh, I want you to notice what are you drawn into in this icon and what may, what may God be saying to you through this icon in terms of dwelling in the house of love? Let me uh, pray for us, and then I'll give us a few minutes of, of entering into the icon, and, um, and then I'll, I'll just read you um, Nawan's reflection on, uh, on the icon after a few minutes of silence. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God of love. You're a God who invites us and calls, in, calls us into uh, your house of love, but you didn't just invite us, but you came to us, you came seeking us out, that you came to dwell with us uh, because that's how much you love us. And so we ask now for your spirit to move through the painting, through our hearts, and help us to hear from you. Amen.
Rublev painted an icon based on the visit of the three angels of Abraham in Genesis, seated around the table of hospitality. In the icon, the figure in the center points with two fingers to the chalice and inclines toward the figure on the left who offers a blessing. <clears throat> a third figure on the right points to a rectangular opening on the front of the table through which the viewer is invited to enter and participate in the spiritual actions. Together, the three figures form a mysterious circle of movement in perfect proportion. So when the monks prayed with the icon and focused on that circle of hospitality, love, and intimacy, they realized that they did not have to be afraid. When they allowed themselves to be part of the community formed by the three figures and let themselves be drawn into that circle of safety and love, they were able to pray and not lose heart. For me, praying with this icon, releasing my fears as I focus on that little doorway in the icon that leads to where God dwells in intimacy, hospitality, and welcome, has increasingly become for me a way to enter more deeply into the mystery of divine life while remaining fully engaged in the struggles of our hate and fear-filled world. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or war or any other fears? No, in all these things, we are made more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any other power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> 